0: You know, it just strikes us that in our Christian faith we need to be versatile. We need to be adaptable because if we get too stuck, then something can throw us off, and we just don't know what to do. But in the end, our call is just to worship God, and thankfully we can do that any place, any time, anywhere. Um, and so it's good to come and share with you. I want to actually start. So I don't know how we'll do this. Um, I've got a video that we put together. Um, but I don't know if I, if I just hold the thing up so that those on the... Because I presume it was sharp. How we can do this. <laughs> All right. Hopefully you can see it. Am I not... It's going to have to do... Not my head. Actually, we we'll do it this way. This one's a lot better. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary, Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Silo, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they said to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? It was a very large stone. But as he arrived, They looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. entering the tomb, they saw a young man, sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. The women were shocked, but the angel said, Don't be alarmed. I know you were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is not here. He has been raised. Look, here's the place where they put him. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. And they went out and fled from the tomb. The trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to to anyone, as they were afraid. And that was the uh, read by. The junior church, some of the junior church children. So, thank you for that. And music by Sean. A little background there. That was good. Uh, and the, the reading was from uh, Mark chapter 16. And I think there's, there's a question that they came to the tomb, and, and the question almost was, Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? And I, I feel that there's, there's that kind of question. In our society today, where is God in the midst of everything? In the midst of everything, where is God? Um, and people have very different opinions about who God is. Um, obviously, there's a large proportion of people who, who don't believe God even exists. They can't see Him, they can't feel Him, or maybe the idea of God, the concept of God, just doesn't suit them. So it's easier to say, you know, God doesn't exist God's not real maybe some people feel God is existent but he's very distant and there's a view of God that God is like a watchmaker and the watchmaker constructs this very intricate piece of machinery winds it up and just then lets it go and has no involvement in it and some people have that view of God that God is like that that God is there God is somewhere out in the heavens uh, we think that the heaven, if anyone knows where the heavens are, maybe out in the universe, somewhere at the edge of existence, wherever that might be, well, that's where God is. Nowhere here and not involved with us today. Some people believe that God is just unknowable. Like God is too great. God is too just vast. God is just, how can I even know? Maybe some people believe that God is just one thing and they condense God down into something. They say, well, God is angry. God is like the angry one, and he's just fire and vengeance. Equally, maybe someone says, oh, God is just loving. God is like, you know, just a big cuddle, and, you know, I love God, and and that's all God is. But the thing is, though, we can limit God. We can limit God. I was thinking about one of the very first commandments where God says, don't make any idols. And I was thinking, Why is that? One is, I think, people then just trust in a piece of creation, it says, rather than the creator. But the thing is, whenever you try and make an image of God, you then limit him in some way. Because the vastness of God cannot be encapsulated just in one thing. The vastness of God cannot just be in a statue or a photo or a drawing or anything like that even in your imagination God is so vast and so many things And I don't know in a sense what God means to you today in a sense how you see God and the many facets of God but one thing I do believe is that God makes himself known he's not far off he's not non-existent he's not distant but God is at work in creation today. God is at work in our lives. I was talking with a colleague who is not a Christian and they asked me whether I believed in coincidence or if there's a kind of something greater at work. And It was a really interesting opportunity to say how yeah, I believe that God is at work in the intricate parts of my life and even in my workplace that I believe God is at work doing things and moving things and bringing people in and moving people out, that, you know, is God involved in the very minute things of um, what I put on this morning, what shoes I wore? I don't think God necessarily gets too involved in that, unless he needs to. Um, But he is involved in our lives in very intricate ways. And God makes himself known. But when? Because again, many people might say, well, where is God? I want to know God, but I can't find him, or I can't see him. And there's a very interesting verse where it says, At the right time, Christ died. And I think that's a really interesting concept. At the right time. Because there are many things that we want. There are many things we could say, well, for example, in the pandemic, why is it not finished yet? Why is it not finished yet? Maybe there's something going on in your life and you think, What's going on here? I believe the truth of God is that at the right time, God reveals himself. God moves in our situations. I've been reading through, I'm doing my daily readings in the Old Testament at the moment, and I've been reading, um, I'm up into Judges, which is a weird book. Um, (laughs) The thing is, though, right from the very beginning, God appeared. So God appeared in creation, in the creation of the universe. God was there, evidence, speaking and moving and doing. And we see God in creation today. If you have eyes to see, you can see God in creation today in the wonder, in the beauty, in the intricacy of creation. It, it speaks of an intelligent designer, somebody who is at work and moving things. These things are not coincidence but they are God-moving. We saw God with Adam and Eve, walking with them in the garden. God was evident there. And and as I was reading through these things, I thought how God appears in different ways to different people. So to Adam and Eve, God appeared like a companion. There was no sin, there was no need in that sense. And so God was just there, he went for walks. And maybe you've been out for lots of walks recently, That's all we've been able to do. But the way of connecting with people currently has been to go out with walks. And so God was a companion to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We think about how God appeared to Abraham. Now Abraham um, had no children and God appeared to him to confirm the promise that he would have a child. So when God appeared to Abraham, he appeared as a promise-keeping God. He appeared as a covenantal God. John mentioned it the other day when God appeared to Abraham and he separated the animals and he walked through the animals to make a covenant. And so the thing that Abraham really needed was to believe in a God who is covenantal, who commits and keeps his promise. Then we think about Moses. So where did God appear to Moses? This was at the burning bush. And God appeared to him as a bush. And you think, well, why would God appear as a burning bush? And I think the way God needed to appear to Moses, first of all, was he needed to catch Moses' attention. Because Moses was just ticking on. He'd run away from uh, from Egypt and he was just out. um, And I think God needed to catch his attention. But not only that, but to reveal to Moses his power. Because the thing about the bush was it was a flame but didn't, Burn up. But also he needed to reveal to Moses his holiness. He said, This is holy ground. And so he was revealing these things that Moses needed to know. Then we read how when Moses was leading the children of Israel, he revealed himself to Israel as the rock. He revealed himself as the the um where is it the cloud and the fire. And these were signifying that God was going to be to Israel their provider, their protector. Everything that they would need, he was there. And this is a thing that, when I talk about these appearances, it wasn't just God sent someone. It wasn't that he just kind of spoke into the, you know, that, as God might speak to us sometimes, the, the, in our hearts, in our minds, wherever, you know, God, how God speaks. But God was there. It wasn't that God sent a rock. It was that God was the rock, that he was the fire, he was the cloud. He was there with them. Then with Joshua, so Joshua is about to go out into battle to defeat Jericho, conquer Canaan, and there appears this, this man before him. And he says, are you for us or are you for the enemy? And it's funny when you say to God, God, whose side are you on? and God's kind of like I'm on nobody's side. This I am the commander of the Lord's armies. And he revealed himself to Joshua one again that he was this set apart person that is reminding Joshua, you know, this isn't your conquest, Joshua, this is my conquest. But also that I am a warrior king, that I will go before you and I will conquer. And it's funny as you read so many of the battles that happen, like, they often don't even fight. They just do something and God acts, God moves, God is the warrior king. You Think about how God appeared to Gideon, and God gave Gideon the confidence that he was the deliver, deliverer of Israel. God was going to deliver his people and maybe even fast forward, there's many different ones, but into the New Testament, where God appeared to Saul as he was on the road to Damascus. And Saul was a man zealous for God. But he had just kind of just missed it, you know? He wanted to do what was right, but he had missed it. And God revealed himself as as the Lord, as the true Lord, Jesus Christ, who Paul and Saul should follow. And so we have all these appearances of Christ in different ways. God appears to us in different ways at different times for different reasons. And we think about how Jesus Christ appeared to us. He appeared, first of all, as a lowly baby, virginal, pure, without blemish. He came. But then we learn, as on Friday, that he came as a suffering servant, And it's funny because people had this expectation of who Jesus would be or who the Messiah would be. Many thought, you know, the Messiah is going to come and he is going to conquer. Maybe they wanted the one that Joshua met where Jesus comes and says, I'm the commander of the Lord's armies and we're going to beat this lot and we're going to liberate Israel. But that's not how he appeared. He appeared as the one who went and knelt before their feet and washed them. That wasn't what they expected. It kind of blew their minds in many respects. And so some expected him to be different. But in the end, he was what they needed, not what they wanted. And then we think about the appearance of Christ after his resurrection. And when he... It's interesting, actually, when you think about the appearance when Mary and the other Mary, and Salome went to the tomb, what did they find? Nothing. Because again, we can have this expectation of Jesus. Jesus is going to be where I want him to be, or where I expect him to be. And interestingly, Jesus didn't appear there, to them there, because Jesus was not going to appear to them as the dead man. Later on, he appeared to them as the living God. He appeared to Thomas. So Thomas had this need because of his uncertainty. And I can fully understand why he would feel that way. But he appeared to Thomas and showed him the, the scars. He appeared to Peter because Peter, if you remember, had denied his saviour three times. Peter must have felt must, so much guilt, so much shame, And how did Jesus appear to him? Not as the one with the wagging finger, saying, Peter, see, I told you. You should have known better, should have listened. No, but he called him unto himself to restore him. He was the restoring God. Jesus appeared at different times. I was thinking about the resurrection, though. And I was thinking. It's very interesting, again, why did Jesus appear as a resurrected man? Because in some respects, maybe he could have just been like crucified, up to heaven, sorted, and that's where he would have been. And we could have worshipped him and said, you know, Jesus is up in heaven. But there was this period in between where he appeared to them in his resurrected form, in his resurrection body. So why was this, why was this so important? I think for one thing, it confirms the word of God. Because God spoke so many things throughout history about what was gonna happen. And I was thinking, if Jesus hadn't appeared, I wonder if there always would have been this part in people's minds where it was like, well, he was good, but do we really believe? Because again, I've never seen him with my physical eyes, up in heaven now maybe a few people have I know said that Stephen did he saw him Um, and maybe a few others who have ascended into heaven have seen him but on the whole we haven't but then through the resurrection through the testimony of those who saw him gives us that confidence that it wasn't it's not just a story that someone made up And it's not my sermon today about the kind of the the evidence of the resurrection, but there is so much evidence of the resurrection. If you read Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ, you can read all about it there. But let's turn to a few scriptures. First of all, in John 11, and if you listen to Sean's, uh, Sean put this one on YouTube this morning, John 11. And this, so this is obviously before Jesus is crucified. And he said, Jesus said to her, I, see, here in verse 25, Okay, there, John eleven twenty-five. 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. And anyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So Lazarus had just died. Where was the hope? Where was, the, where was their hope in what would happen? And Jesus made this bold declaration, I am the resurrection and the life. Is this just words? You know, you know, it's nice words, platitudes, kind of, you know, something you might put on an Instagram post because it's just nice. You know, Jesus makes us feel good. No. It wasn't just words. When Jesus was resurrection, resurrected, he was showing that he had the power behind the words. He had the reality behind the words. That it wasn't just Lazarus being dead in the tomb, but that Jesus wasn't, again, just bringing resurrection life to Lazarus, but would bring resurrection life to everyone. They weren't just words. He was proving his claim that he was the resurrection. Turn to 1 Peter. Gonna jump around a little bit, so I hope you've got your Bibles and you. Some people are in a quandary because they're watching on Zoom now and they can't use their electronic Bibles at the same time. So what'd do you do? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If Jesus had not been resurrected from the dead, there would not be new birth in him. We would not have a living hope. Just think about that for a moment. All that, in a sense, we take for granted in our Christian walk We wouldn't have it. You would maybe just be like, again, just, well, I have a nice belief system. I have a nice belief in a God who is reigning in heaven, but it makes no impact on me here and now today. But the truth is, because of his resurrection, we can have new birth. We have hope of life. Let's go back a bit into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. It says, For this, this is 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So again, it's this idea of hope. What hope do we have for the dead, for when we die? What hope do we have? Do we just die and become worm food? Because that is what so many believe. Do we die and be born again into another creation, piece of creation in reincarnation? Because that is what some believe. But this is saying, because we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Jesus didn't die, rise as a different thing, as a different person. He rose as the same person in a different body, in his resurrection body. So we will bring, he will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So it's that association we now have with Jesus because it says we are baptized into his death and into his resurrection. That comes the idea when we are baptized in the pool. That we go down and we come back up. And that's the idea that we die with Jesus, and we come back with him to new life. And the resurrection is the evidence that he will bring us back with him, that we don't just stay down in the water, but there is life coming up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I really wanted to kind of just make sure this is just soaked in scripture. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, and Paul, Paul got it, which you'd expect, I guess. But he said, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Why is it so important today? Why is it so important that we remember the resurrection? Because without it, everything they preached, first of all, would have been a lie. But our faith would be in vain. Our faith be nothing. You know, faith is not fingers crossed. You know? It's not fingers crossed, legs crossed. I just hope I get to heaven. I hope this happens for me. I hope Jesus will come through. Faith is the confidence and expectation on the evidence of what God has done and what he will do. That we believe in him. He has said it. He will do it. And He So he said, and this is the thing, so many of the disciples looked into the wrong place because they didn't believe. They had heard him say, you know, I'm going to be died, I'm going to be crucified, die, and then I'm going to be resurrected in three days. And he even told them, I think I've told you this before, but he told them to go to Galilee. That was in the reading today. He told them to go to Galilee, which is three days journey. So the thing they should have done, the moment he was crucified, they should have got their backpacks on, headed off to Galilee. And there they would have met him when he was resurrected. But they weren't there, so they had a bit of a delay because they eventually made it. They were looking in the wrong place. But they should have listened to his word and he showed that he was true to what he was going to say. Let's go into the book of Romans, chapter 6. (coughs) Verse 4 and 5 says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let those words sink in for a moment. That we too might walk in newness of life. Think about Jesus. Resurrected. Glorious. Death could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. He was resurrected to this newness of life with power over death. He was walking in newness of life and he's saying, this is the life I have for you. It says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And this is not just a resurrection on the last day. It's not just a resurrection, you know, hold on tight, hold on till heaven. It's resurrection now. It's resurrection life that God has for us today. Go on a couple of pages to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Because it says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Let's again, think about that for a moment. Does the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, does that same spirit live in, in you? Anyone? Yeah. Do we believe it? Because yeah. again, this is a trouble. We can say, oh yeah, I've got a nice theology. I've got a nice belief system. I believe that Jesus you know, lives in my heart and it's warm and fuzzy. But the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Now again... In a sense, it's the same spirit that raised Lazarus from the dead. But the raising of Jesus was a bit different because Jesus had taken upon himself the sin of everyone. Lazarus had died and had just had his own sin on him and he was raised. Jesus had taken upon himself the sin of billions of people throughout history. And that's not just... You know, It's not just a billion things, it's a billion times every sin you've ever done. He took that upon himself. That's a mighty weight to carry, yet the Spirit of God resurrected him and conquered that, overcame that sin. That same Spirit is at work in us. So it says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Praise God. I hope just to read these scriptures, what has come across is the immense importance of the resurrection of Jesus. But it wasn't just a historical event. It wasn't just a miracle. But it was something that impacts us even today. And is, is outworking itself in us and through us. I was thinking about through that and just that scripture how, in a sense, the death and resurrection of Jesus is a, is a bit like, or maybe is like, the consecration and filling of the temple. Because if you read back in the Old Testament where they built the temple, and so you had this building, and maybe we can think of ourselves like that because it says, You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That the temple was made, we have our mortal bodies, our flesh and bone. And yet, then there was a moment with the temple before God came that it was consecrated, it was cleansed, it was set apart as holy. And when we come into our relationship with God, when we die with him and are resurrected with him, that is what is happening. God is saying, your death is your setting yourself apart for me. Your resurrection is your life, your consecration, your cleansing into a new life for him. And it says in the temple that then the, the cloud filled the temple. The train of his robe filled the temple. And that is what happens because of the resurrected life, that the Spirit of God comes in and dwells in us. Again, it's very interesting that as we read that or heard that passage, hopefully you heard it fine, in Mark chapter 16, it says that they, they went but they didn't see him because he wasn't there. And again, the reality is that many people are looking in the wrong place for Jesus. Or for something, whatever they're looking for, they're looking in the wrong place. It also says that then Jesus did appear to Mary, and she thought he was the gardener. And so she said to him, like, what have you done with the body? Where is he? And so, again, the reality is that Jesus can be right in front of us, but we miss it. It It's not just Mary. The two uh, disciples who were walking with him on the road to Emmaus, they had a long time with him, and they were walking with him, talking. He was explaining the scriptures and all these things, and they were like, oh, this guy's good. They were walking with him, but it was not until they, he broke the bread that their eyes were suddenly opened. It, for Mary... It wasn't until Jesus just said, Mary. She was like, I recognize that voice. Sometimes we're looking in the wrong place. Sometimes we come with an expectation of what Jesus will look like. But we need to learn to recognize his voice and his presence. Because as I hopefully have outlined to you, Jesus will come in many different forms. He has done throughout history. He will come in many different forms in our lives. It might not be as you expect, but will you have an ear to listen for his voice? Because he says, my sheep know my voice. Learn to listen to his voice and to discern his presence. I wonder this morning, how do you want God to appear to you? What is your need this morning for God? Because sometimes throughout history, there was a need that people were aware of, and God appeared and met that need. Sometimes there was a need that people were completely unaware of, but God appeared and met that need. What is your need this morning? Because I believe we can ask of God and say God will you appear to me will you reveal yourself to me because again he's not a distant God up in the clouds far away he's here right now I think the other trouble is that often we don't give the opportunity this is what I mean when I say that we're looking in the wrong place it's kind of you know if you your nose is in a book if you're Eyes are glued on the TV or whatever. You know, God can break through in many different ways, let me tell you. But sometimes, again, we're looking in the wrong place and we're saying, well, I don't see Jesus. But we're looking in the wrong places. There is one more grandstand appearance of Jesus. If you want to turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 19. I'm going to read with you from verse 11 to 16. Because remember, Jesus came in different ways throughout history. And there will be a day when he will come in this way. Uh, Chapter 19, Revelation 19, verse 11 onwards. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and is Righteous. He judges and makes war. So again, the revelation, this time, is of one who is judging, the one who is making war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. There is going to be a grandstand appearance of Jesus Christ as the the warrior king who will be riding upon the white horse dipped in blood, I think representing the sacrifice that he made for the atonement of sins. But he is pure as white as well and he carries with him the sword. He is the word of God. He is bringing judgment. He is bringing righteousness. He is making war. The revelation of God that is to come, is the one who's going to come and sort it all out for final, for good. And with that revelation comes a need for each of us to be ready. Mm -hmm. To be ready for his coming. Because again, sometimes Jesus appeared and people would say meek and mild. Yeah, he was soft, he was loving, he was compassionate. And there was a time for that, there will be a time when he will come. To judge the world and if we rely on him to be the, the, the same Jesus as he was maybe in the gospels we're going to be sadly surprised the time to turn to him is now let's come before him now and just pray That we might be ready for his return. But also, that if you have a need for him today, which I believe we all will, we all should, I have a need for him today. I have, Lord, I need you. That we might pray that he will reveal himself right to us in this moment, that we would then be ready for when he reveals himself on that final day. Let's just spend a few moments just quietly before him. I encourage you to close your eyes and just say, God, will you reveal yourself to me afresh today? Will you reveal yourself to me in the way that I need you today?